The streets of South Africa ran red with the blood of the innocent. A male student barely escaped the clutches of death, but his female companion was not so fortunate. A gang of four men descended upon her like ravenous beasts, tearing her clothes and violating her in unspeakable ways. For four agonizing hours, she screamed and begged for mercy, but none came. Her pain and suffering were a feast for the depraved souls of her attackers. But what was truly chilling was the lack of remorse displayed by the four devils. They laughed and joked as if their monstrous actions were nothing more than a game, a sick and twisted game that they had won. The story of Hannah Cornelius is a harrowing reminder of the horrors that lurk in the shadows of society. Welcome back to our channel, everyone. And if you dare to delve into the depths of the criminal underworld, join me on a journey that will take you to the very edge of sanity. We will uncover the most gruesome and unspeakable crimes, and bring justice to the victims who have suffered at the hands of the most twisted and malevolent souls. South Africa is one of the most well-known countries on the African continent. It boasts a significant cultural heritage, is endowed with tremendous natural beauty, and is populated by some of the most hospitable people you will ever meet. South Africa is home to a wide variety of landscapes that are sure to impress the viewer, including its huge grasslands, expansive beaches, and towering mountains. Having said that, it also has an unshakable reputation for violent crime and other types of criminal activity. This is mostly the result of issues with gangs and femicide, and the accounts of these atrocities receive very little attention from the media outside of the borders of the nation. The town of Stellenbosch, which may be found to the east of Cape Town, is the topic of today's discussion. Stellenbosch is a town in South Africa that is home to a university and is sometimes referred to as Eichsten in the local language. It is bordered on all sides by hundreds of vineyards, many of which contribute to South Africa's world-famous wine industry. Both of these characteristics contribute to Stellenbosch's status as a relatively rich region in which to reside. The life of Hannah Cornelius may be found in the prosperous district that is characterized by its many oak-shaded streets dotted with boutique cafes and art galleries. On February 12, 1996, Hannah Cornelius was brought into the world by her parents, Willem and Anna Cornelius. While her mother, Anna, was an active member of the legal community, her father, Willem, served as a magistrate for a nearby town. As a result, it should not come as a surprise to learn that Hannah was raised in a loving and responsible family environment. And three years after Hannah was born, she became a sister to her younger brother, who will stay nameless for his own security. This happened three years after Hannah was born. Soon after, Hannah began acting like a very kind and watchful elder sister. Hannah was always there for her younger brother who struggled with his education throughout their childhood, and she was pleased to assist him as he matured. She was a kind and well-rounded adolescent who also took an interest in theater class and excelled in it to the point that others took notice. She was also quite talented when it came to playing the piano. It would be accurate to describe her as a creative genius. In high school, 
Hannah was quite successful. She never stopped giving it her all, and as a result, she graduated with six distinctions and an average score that was at least 85% higher than the class average. Hannah was well-liked and content, and she also had a boyfriend named Fanello, with whom she was head over heels in love throughout her time in high school. They would do everything together, including attend the prom, much to her father's chagrin. It was difficult for him to watch his little Hannah become older and further away from them all so soon. There is no embellishment to be found in Hannah's personality. She was thoughtful, bright, and put in a lot of effort in whatever she did. Because of this, it was only natural for her to decide to enroll in college and, more particularly, to pursue a bachelor's degree in the humanities. Hannah has an inquisitive attitude and a strong desire to gain knowledge about the world and the people in her immediate environment. And fast forward another two months, she was ultimately given permission to participate in the program. Hannah enrolled in Stellenbosch University in the summer of 2015 to begin her studies for a bachelor's degree, and she'd have head first into her coursework with great zeal. Hannah was had to go to and from school on a daily basis, despite the fact that she lived in close proximity at the Irene Ladies' residence. Because of these circumstances, a grandmother who was 90 years old gave her an ancient blue and white Volkswagen City Gall. The grandmother could no longer drive the vehicle, so she gave it to her granddaughter. Hannah devoted some of her free time to helping animals at the Tears Animal Sanctuary in Cape Town, South Africa, in addition to her studies and class obligations. Hannah was the kind of person that cared about others and was interested in the world around her. She had no trouble at all meeting new people and making new acquaintances while she was at the university. As a result of her eagerness to assist others in need, she never lacked for conversation partners. And the number of people she counted as friends continued to increase as she frequently made new contacts in other areas. This was the situation with one of Hannah's closest and most essential friends. Cheslin Marsh, a fellow student who was also studying theology, was one of the first people she met during her second year of school. Cheslin was quite similar to Hannah in that she was a devoted student who put in a lot of effort and was able to relate very well to Hannah's manner. Cheslin was very grateful to Hannah whenever she assisted him with his schoolwork, and Cheslin always returned the favor. On the other hand, neither of them had any love sentiments for the other. They had a wonderful relationship of friendship with one another. As we moved into the year 2017, Hannah and Cheslin had both completed a significant portion of their second year of college. And after a hard week of studying and working, the two individuals made the decision to go out for drinks with their bodies on the weekend. The evening went off without a hitch. Everybody was in a good mood, or had at least had a few drinks. And Hannah, Cheslin, and the rest of the group were busy playing dominoes, which is a game that is popular among students in South Africa. There is currently nothing noteworthy to discuss regarding this evening. The discussion continued to flow as it normally would, and the wonderful moment that had occurred on Friday gradually transitioned into the early hours of Saturday, May 27. 
Hannah was aware that their get-together was drawing to a close and, as a result, made the decision to call it a day and turn in for the night. However, Cheslin was well aware that it was unwise for a young woman to walk home alone through the streets of Stellenbosch at night. Therefore, he decided to offer to take her back to the Irene Gold's residence, which was not too far from his own house. He did this while holding a skateboard in his hand. Han acknowledged her gratitude and agreed to take him up on his offer. After saying goodbye to their companions, the two started the relatively smooth trip back home. They had no problems whatsoever on the way to Hannah's house when they reached there. However, now that the situation had been reversed, Hannah was concerned about Cheslin coming home by herself. You should know that she parked her automobile literally only around the corner. As a result, she decided to make an offer to drive him back. Hannah would not accept Cheslin's denial that he would be able to safely ride his longboard back home despite the fact that he claimed he would be okay to do so. At this hour of the night, she was well aware that driving her automobile was a far more secure option than using a skateboard. After that, the two individuals got into Hannah's Volkswagen and started driving in the direction of Cheslin's home of residence. Hannah stopped her car on a little piece of grass at 3.23 Zen. On Saturday, the 27th of May, while the two individuals talked and said their farewells. But despite the fact that they were conversing, neither of them was aware of the four men who were passing them along the road. They had no idea at all that these four men would make the decision to get back on the car and loop back around. They were up to no good, and Hannah and Cheslin were their newest victims who were completely unaware of what was going on. Because there are a lot of little intricacies to this case and out of respect for everyone involved. I'm going to preserve the timeline of this narrative in chronological order. But they approached Hannah and Cheslin overtly by utilizing a truck that was nearby. And this is the point at which our narrative takes a very sinister turn very rapidly. The feeling of safety that Cheslin and Hannah currently have would be completely destroyed if there was an abrupt bang at the door. And following the tearing out of the passenger door, a pointed screwdriver and a flick knife were put on the victim's bodies. The scenario rapidly deteriorated into a critical and life-threatening one. Carjacking had just occurred in real time, and Hannah and Cheslin were the unfortunate victims of it. The four males pushed themselves inside the vehicle. At this moment, one of the four guys, Nashville Julius, separates himself from the other three and is no longer a participant in the activities that take place for the remainder of the night. It was now time for him to finish his mission of following and protecting a random automobile. Hannah was crammed in between the front seats of the automobile while this was going on, and she was trapped there. Cheslin was being held down by Eben Van Niekirk in the rear as she was surrounded by Vernon Whitby and Geraldo Parsons on either side. In the middle, Eben Van Niekirk pinned her. Hannah's Volkswagen Golf, which is easily recognizable, pulls away from the curb at 3.40 in the morning with all five of her friends on board. These must have been some of the most excruciating times in the couple's lives. Neither Cheslin nor Hannah had any idea what they were getting themselves into, 
and unfortunately, this was only the beginning of their troubles. Following the conclusion of this surveillance video, Hannah's vehicle would not be seen again for more than an hour. But at 4.34 in the morning, it was seen on video once more by a security system at a gas station that is situated on the outskirts of Stellenbosch. The guys had pulled over the vehicle at some point along the sandy road leading out of town, and they had compelled Cheslin to get into the trunk of the vehicle. They searched him thoroughly, going through his jacket and shoes as well as the rest of his belongings. A person wearing a jacket of a light cream hue can be seen sitting in the passenger seat of the vehicle as it pulls up to the gas station. The next thing that happens is that a security camera inside the station catches one of the men, Vernon Whitboy, walking inside the shop while carrying a wallet. After he got Cheslin's card in his possession, he was going to clean it with the pin that Cheslin had given him. Unfortunately, despite the several attempts that were made, they were unable in accessing his bank account. It seemed as though Cheslin had misled about the PIN number, a conduct for which he would be held accountable in the future. After getting back into the truck, the five of them proceeded on their way to Cryfontaine, a town that is located nearby Stellenbosch. Hannah sat in the front seat of her grandmother's car during this terrifying automobile journey. Cheslin was still in the trunk the entire time and Hannah was surrounded by three unknown and potentially dangerous men. She was as obedient and cooperative as could be expected of her. She did not search the area, she did not dispute, and she did not engage in physical conflict. Instead, she kept her gaze fixed on the gloomy expanse of the road in front of her. The guys then embarked on a number of journeys across the surrounding region during which they paid sporadic visits to a variety of individuals, the majority of which included the exchange and receipt of drugs. And throughout all of this, Cheslin was confined to the britches the entire time. Unfortunately for him, the hood of the automobile would not open no matter how often he believed the men to be absent from the area. The men were driving just outside of Cryfontaine when all of a sudden around 5.30 in the morning, they came to a standstill. Hannah questioned the men about the reason for their pit stop. They assured Hannah that they were just going to take a short break for a cigarette and that they would be back on their way very soon. They also promised that they would be ready to return her automobile whenever they reached their ultimate destination. At that very instant, Two of the men exited the vehicle, walked around the rear, and extracted Cheslin from the trunk. It was obvious that they were upset that he had not provided them with his PIN number. After Cheslin was shoved, pushed, and made to move a short distance away from the automobile, the next instruction that was given to her was to lie down on the floor. At this moment, Cheslin was fully aware that he was going to pass away soon. These individuals had the intention of ending his life. After he had planted his feet, Cheslin turned his gaze upward. The last thing that he remembered, two tall guys standing over him with bricks in their hands, were the last thing he saw. After then, there was a complete lapse of memory of all that had just occurred. Hannah was still experiencing the terrifying events of the previous night as the sun made its way over the horizon, and regrettably, Things were only going to get worse from here on out. 
The gang next went to an abandoned paintball course that was located along Bottle Ray Road. This location was not too far from where the men had departed Cheslin. After that, all three of the males assaulted Hannah. And unfortunately, from there, the situation would only deteriorate worse. They eventually arrived at a winery. After that, Hannah had a screwdriver that had been sharpened shoved into her neck. And then the group found a rock that weighed 40 kilograms and smashed her head with it. She was instantaneously killed by the hit. After re-entering the vehicle, they drove away, leaving Hannah's lifeless corpse lying at the perimeter of the vineyard. During the time when daylight was flooding the fields and savannas of South Africa, a young couple had awoken to a fresh spring weekend in their charming home along the outskirts of Cryfontaine. They were enjoying the weekend together. The tranquil sounds of birds and farm animals could be heard from every direction. However, in addition to these recognizable noises, an unnerving rumbling of moaning and screaming from a distance gradually started to become audible. The groaning and screams continued for a considerable amount of time. A young man could be seen by the couple through the window as they looked out. He appeared to be disoriented and was covered in blood. Surprisingly, it turned out to be Cheslin. In spite of receiving many blows to the head with bricks, he was astonishingly still alive, and his intellect was as sharp as it could possibly be. It dawned on him that he needed assistance when he realized that his pal was nowhere to be found. Cheslin had really traveled down the road in an attempt to locate the residential building that was situated the furthest away from him, and the couple that he encountered were understandably terrified. In point of fact, at first, they believed that Cheslin was a member of the rival gang, so they requested him to leave the area. However, he demanded that they get in touch with the authorities, and not long after that, they were aware of the gravity of the circumstance. Within a matter of minutes, Cheslin was begging the local authorities for assistance in locating Hannah. He provided a description of the perpetrators' faces, the automobile, the location where they fled, and everything else from the previous evening that he could recall. He had a strong desire to be of assistance in locating Hannah, but unfortunately, it was already much too late. Hannah had been discovered less than two hours earlier, when he was still asleep, and the search had already been conducted. It was verified that she had passed away. As the lives of Hannah's friends and family were turned upside down, the police began an exhaustive hunt for the people who were responsible for the attacks on Hannah and Cheslin. They were aware that they needed to find a tiny Volkswagen with blue and white stripes, and it was their good fortune that they wouldn't have to exert a lot of effort in their search because someone had previously seen this automobile many times throughout the late morning. After the murder of Hannah Cornelius, Vernon, Eben, and Geraldo had inexplicably continued on with their binge of criminal activity. I suppose this is a reflection of their lack of intelligence as well as their callousness. Around Cryfontaine, many sightings of them have been reported. It was stated that the males had followed a woman as she walked to her place of employment and then robbed her of her purse and her cell phone. After this, these men were not seen again for a few hours. Nevertheless, Around one o'clock that same day, they assaulted yet another woman, and this time they kidnapped her. 
The vehicle was seen on video at a neighboring Shell gas station that has surveillance cameras. The blue Volkswagen can be seen on the surveillance footage coming into the petrol station. It should be brought to your attention that the woman they abducted is now riding in the trunk of the automobile with Eben Van Niekerk at this moment. It appears that he makes a practice of doing this. However, once Whit Boy got out of the car, he went to an automated teller machine and made an effort to withdraw money from the woman's account. They withdrew 3,000 rand, which is equal to $200 or 150 pounds in modern currency. This time, thankfully, their victim was left behind on the side of a country road where she could not be found. After that, Vernon and Geraldo drove Eben back to his house and handed him the portion of the reward money that corresponded to his activities. And after that, they made an attempt to sell the vehicle to a group of unrelated strangers. They had no idea that the authorities had been keeping track of their whereabouts throughout the morning and that they were now sneaking up on them with brutal determination. But they were. When they first started out for the night, there were six individuals packed into Hannah's Volkswagen Gall. By the time they reached their destination, however, there were only two guys left in the vehicle. Vernon Whitboy and Geraldo Parsons. A little over an hour later, an undercover police vehicle noticed the automobile that had gone missing going past, and just as the pursuit got underway, a second police van joined in on the pursuit. The individuals who were traveling in the blue Volkswagen Golf stopped into the driveway of a neighboring private property in a vain attempt to elude the authorities who were pursuing them. It can be observed that innocent people are standing a safe distance away and observing as a detective rapidly exits the building and chases after the suspects on foot. They continue to flee at a high rate of speed, but thankfully, a security barrier located farther down the driveway prevents the blue Volkswagen from proceeding down the driveway any further. The two guys attempt to flee the scene, with one of them running and diving into the river below but their efforts are eventually fruitless. They have gotten themselves into a precarious situation in which they are unable to evade the cops who are hard on their trail and are armed and ready to discharge their weapons. Their cruel and depraved game had come to an end at this point. After the arrest, both Whit Boy and Geraldo were more than eager to name the other two individuals who were behind these awful atrocities, which ultimately led to the arrest of both of them the very next day. Both of these men were arrested as a result of their statements. Now, I just want to take a quick moment to bring to your attention how little regard these individuals had for the lives of the people they killed. These individuals were content to take the lives of two innocent persons and cause fear in the lives of two others for the little sum of $200. As a result of the news, Hannah's family was devastated, and in particular, her parents, William and Anna, were unable to find any solace in the situation. During the subsequent months, it appeared as though the mental anguish that had been inflicted upon them had completely consumed them. The Hannah Cornelius Foundation was established by Hannah's parents in her honor while the authorities were compiling evidence against the people they believed were responsible for their daughter's disappearance. 
The mission of this foundation is to assist at-risk youth by way of the provision of educational opportunities, counseling services, and general direction. Sincerity compels me to admit that I wish I could stand here and guarantee that these four individuals would not be responsible for any other fatalities. However, sadly, there was going to be another one very soon. Annie Cornelius, Hannah's mother, was discovered dead and drifting in the waves of the South Atlantic Ocean in March of 2018, which was less than one year after Hannah Cornelius had passed away. Willem is adamant that his wife had already decided to end her life, despite the fact that the death was ruled an accident. He is of the opinion that the agony of having to bury her daughter was just too much for her to handle. She eventually found herself stepping into the water and admitting that she had given up. As a result of this tragedy, a compelling case was being constructed against the individuals who had murdered Hannah and attempted to murder Cheslin. And on the 1st of May in 2018, their legal actions would finally get underway. There was a mountain of evidence against them. They had witness statements, admissions from both Vernon and Geraldo security film, forensic evidence, and most significantly, they had Cheslin, who testified in court as a witness. The same rock that was used to murder Hannah was even presented as evidence in the trial. Unfortunately, as a result of the blunt force damage to the head that was caused by many bricks, he has been completely deaf in one ear. He boldly stood his ground against his attackers and faced each one of them straight in the eyes as he did so. In all seriousness, this man's objective was to pay tribute to his close buddy Hannah. Even though hearing his tale brought tears to people's eyes and made them feel sick to their stomachs, his family was there for him every step of the way to offer support and encouragement. In spite of the fact that the evidence against these four guys was overwhelming, only two of them were willing to admit responsibility for their acts. In point of fact, all four of them entered not guilty pleas to the charges against them. It seems like these individuals had very little regret for their acts throughout all of their court appearances, which is something that I simply cannot wrap my brain around. But despite the difficulty of their situation, these men never stopped smiling and laughing. In the end, Vernon Whip Boy, Geraldo Parsons, and Eben Van Niekirk were each given a sentence of life in prison. Nashville Julius, who had fled at the beginning of the night, was given a term of 22 years for aiding and abetting the robbery and kidnapping. The poisonous and self-serving purpose that led to Hannah Cornelius's death was the cause of her passing. Four individuals who cared only about themselves set out into the world to see what they could get. Their wicked activity led to the gruesome murder of one innocent kid and left another with lasting bodily injury. They lacked any compassion, caring, or conscience, which contributed to their actions. The degree of callousness and depravity that these folks possess is nothing short of astounding. In all honesty, I pray that all four of them perish in prison. Given how tragic the event was, the only consolation we can find is in remembering Hannah for the person she was. Hannah was considered to be a compassionate and helpful person who would assist anyone in their time of need, whether it be with their studies or with volunteer work. And in point of fact, 
even on her very last night. She demonstrated this by giving a buddy a ride home. She was always her own person, someone who didn't listen to the unfavorable ideas and thoughts of others, and instead focused on maintaining her own upbeat frame of mind regardless of what others thought or said. Hannah gave off the overall impression of being a kind and kind person. Her ancestors have a lot of reason to be pleased with who she has become. I've mentioned this fact before in a different context, but in South Africa, men are responsible for the deaths of an average of eight women every single day. That is five times greater than the average throughout the world when measured in relation to the population. A vast list of needless tragedies, including Hannah, Anim, Jade, and Krabo, are all victims of the ongoing struggle in South Africa against femicide. This is a list that is always increasing and getting longer. Hannah's brother, who has severe autism and is therefore unable to comprehend what has occurred to her, continues to inquire about when she will return home up to this very day. Cheslin's survival of the assault is nothing short of a miracle. Yet despite this, his life has not become any simpler as a result of his survival. Because of the mental and physical toll that the assault has had on him, he has been forced to put his studies on hold for the time being. Since then, he has decided to go back to school and change his major to law in an admirable effort to help those who are in the same position as he and Hannah. And in some sense, she will continue to be remembered through him. This is without a doubt one of the most challenging cases I've ever worked on, and regrettably, there is no reliable method to conclude this investigation. It appears as though nothing but calamity and misery have been left for us to deal with. I really pray that the hardships that lie ahead for the families of Cheslin and Hannah bring them some measure of peace. As this section comes to a close, I would like to offer my sincere gratitude to you for taking time for our case today. I am really grateful to those of you who have remained. I was wondering what your opinions were on the Hannah Cornelius case. In the following comment box, I would appreciate it if you could express your comments. And as always, friends, I'll be back soon in another case. In the interim, though, I ask that you all be careful to watch out for one another. Thank you and goodbye.